Uh, today's the, fifth, uh, the 12th, so uh, Proverbs, I chose verse 15, and this is just our quick proverb, and then we'll move on. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Okay, so there's maybe something in there about control, which is our topic for today. Way back in the Old Testament, um, there were lots of references to the altar. An altar was a place where people would lay something down where people would make a sacrifice to God. We've talked about that. We, we talked about that a little bit last week. And we've been talking about something, a concept we call the ego. And an ego is, our ego is what we think about ourselves. It's what we think about ourselves. And um, unfortunately, a lot of us have an inaccurate view of ourselves. Some of us think a little too highly of ourselves. Some of us think a little too lowly of ourselves. And... Um, uh, what we don't really know, then, is who we're really supposed to be. So in this series, what I want to do is try to sacrifice, to lay at God's altar, who it is that we think we are, so that we can become who God says we are. And um, we're going to lay down some different characteristics of our ego on the altar of God so that we can become who God, who God says we are. Last week, we decided to lay down our feelings of inadequacy. We, uh, we saw from, from last week that God sees more in us then we think that God has given us more than we think and that it's less about us than we think. And uh, today we're going to lay down our need for control, for control. And um, we're going to lay down, next week we're going to talk about, we're going to lay down our right to be offended, our right to be offended. Because, you know, actually in our culture, there's a lot of people that are actually looking for ways to become personally offended. Somehow that gives them power. And, um, and unfortunately, um, we're going to see why that mindset really offends the heart of God. It really does offend the heart of God. And then in the fourth week, we're going to talk about laying down our longing for approval because the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you and me is to become obsessed with what other people think about us. So we'll be talking about laying down um, our longing for approval. And uh, today I want to dive in, and by faith we're going to lay down our need for control. So I'd like to ask, ask you... If there is some area in your life where you like to be in control. Oh, come on. Be honest, right? No tricks here. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So controlling how high the hand's going to go. Okay, that's... <laughs> didn't mean to say any names, but, you know, those of you who are guilty know who I'm talking to. I mean, there's, you know, if, if you find yourself just, just now reaching over and grabbing the hand of the person next to you and shoving it up in the air... I want you to take good notes because this really is going to be something for you to get out of this next couple of minutes. I mean, I think it's interesting that just about everybody I know, everybody I know, we have some area of our lives that we want to control. I mean, I think it's, it's human nature. And, um, but and there's, there's some sliver. It may be small, might be small, where we're control freaks. In some small area of our lives, it's pretty much true about everybody. And then there are other areas of our lives where we're not trying to be controlling at all. For example, you know, you might be very, very much in control of your domain at work, and you'll do anything to keep control there, and it's just got to be exactly the way you want it. But at home, you're so laid back that they can't really get a pulse sometimes. I mean, you really don't know if you're... In, and, and the person that you're sitting next to is exactly the opposite. At work, it's laissez-faire, but at home, it's like... Everything's got to be just so. And some of you, maybe, some of you are maybe controlling about your finances. You want to know where every single penny goes. But when it comes to your children, 
maybe they kind of go wherever they want and they don't get quite as much attention as you're really down in your heart. I mean, you're controlling in some areas and in other areas you're not. In my family, Lisa's, you know, mostly laid back when it comes to just, especially like the big major decisions that we make. She, she trusts God. She trusts me. She, she trusts that we'll make the right decisions and that we'll get where we're going to go. And she just doesn't get uptight about a lot of things. But when it comes to the floors, <laughs> you know, I mean, she works really hard at keeping them clean. It's really important to her, okay? And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, when they get messed up, I just look down and I figure that it came off the dogs, okay? I'm pretty convinced of that. And um, so, I mean, I could trail in a half-inch trail of mud and not even be aware of it. It's not that I don't care. It's that I just don't even... And I don't mean to drive you crazy, honey. I know, I know I do. I mean, the other day she was pointing out to me that um, we had gone for a walk and she was pointing out to me, did you see this? And we're in the back part of the house. So I'd gone a long ways and I kind of copped a little bit of an attitude and I started talking to her about it, you know, about, you know, the dogs, this, the dogs, that. And then, of course, then I looked at the bottom of my shoes. Oops, you know. But when it comes, you know, okay, so the floor. So but when it comes to parking the car, I, um, <laughs> I don't, I really believe that you don't know if it's the right spot until you've actually looked at them all, right? You have to look at all of them before you know you're in the right spot. And, and so, I mean, I hate door dings. I just want to control that part of my life. And so we get someplace, and I very politely look at her, and I say, Honey, would you like me to drop you at the front door? And I don't mean it with, there's no sarcasm. It's, it's not meant to be denigrating. It's a, I'll serve you, honey. I'll catch, you, catch up with you. I'll do the running. Um, because I'm now going to go shopping for my parking spot. And, and I don't say that part, but we both understand that's what it means. Honey, would you like me to drop you at the door? It's also like saying, would you like me to drop you at the door because I don't want to hear it from you now as I shop for parking spots. And i got to check them all. I mean, there are certain spots that you park in. There's the perfect ultimate spot is what I call a no-dinger. There's, there's no way anybody can park next to you. Therefore, there's no chances for getting any door dings. That's the ultimate. The ultimate is a no-dinger. Sometimes there isn't a no-dinger available. You've got to satisfy yourself with a one-dinger. Okay, That's at the end of the aisle. And you park in kind of a little bit of a crooked way. You don't go over the line, though, because that makes some people mad, and they'll key your car. That's horrible that they would do that. Um, but, I mean, sometimes you can't. And so, so she wonders if I just... If I worship cars, she worship, and I wonder what's the, that's a funny question. Why would you ask that? Um, I mean, I think she's in love with the floor, you know? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so it's interesting how we get riled up about some things in our lives, and in other areas, we just really, it's not an issue to us. We just don't really care. And today I want to look at our lives and say that we typically try to control two different broad categories of things in our lives. Most of us try to control people or we try to control circumstances. Sometimes both. We try to control people. Maybe with somebody in your life, there are some things that you just don't like. And they're in your life a lot. And you love people. And you have a wonderful plan for their life. And you want to help them, you know, you, ju- you, you really do believe and you really do want to help them. And you want to help them see what you see and you want to help them do what you know they should do because you really believe it's going to help them. But sometimes 
the desire gets so strong that we can kind of start to manipulate or we can bribe or we can offer rewards or withhold rewards or sometimes it can get in, even into passive, aggressive behavior or maybe even threats. And without even knowing it, we'll try to manipulate the behavior of other people because we really believe we know what's best. So we want to control people around us. Could be our coworkers, could be our employees, could be our children, could be our spouse, but we want to be in control. We'll also try to control circumstances. You know, we want to look just right. We want our house to be just perfect. When our kids go out in public, we want them to look and to represent us with the most perfection possible so that people think good about us because of what they see and hear in the way our kids behave. We do. We, we want to control our schedules. We want to control the future. We want to control the schedules of the people that we know and that we love because we want to control what other people think about us. We want to control people and we want to control circumstances. And why do we want to be in control? Usually because at some level our ego is out of control a little bit. Because we really believe that we know what's best And since we know the right thing to do, it's our right to enforce what we know should be going on. There's a guy named Ken Blanchard who's an author, and and, um, he writes books that, bestseller books that are, you know, mostly to the business world. And he he wrote one that's called The One Minute Manager. Maybe many of you have read that. He says that the word ego is an acronym for edging God out. And, you know, he basically says, you know, I so know what's right that I'm going to force it and I'm not going to trust God. I edge God out. In fact, for those of you who are control freaks, we have our own scripture. Did you realize that? Here it is. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 from the CFV. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Lean on your own understanding and in some of your ways acknowledge God. And then you will make your path straight. Now, if you're new to the church or new to the Bible, you know, that's the control freak version, by the way, CFV. <laughs> you might think, um, that sounds okay. I mean, that sounds reasonable, but I've got to tell you, that's not a real translation of the Bible. So you know what we do with, with anything that's not truly the Bible? We burn it up. Okay? So here's the real one. Here's what the real translation says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. It's interesting that, you know, the more we try to control something, that the more we fear losing that control. And then as the fear grows, the more we start to try to control, and we get into this vicious cycle of fear. A cycle of fear about control. And maybe right now you're thinking, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening to this um, because they really need to hear this. And here's the challenge. Control is really hard to see in the mirror. It is really hard to see in the mirror. And the reason is we legitimately think that we know what's best. With right hearts, we really, really think that. We're edging God out, and we don't even know it. So today, um, I want to give you an example of control gone bad out of the Word of God. And then I want to ask three questions that will help us with this, I really believe, for the rest of our lives. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about an Old Testament couple who were originally called Abram and Sarai. 
I'll call them Abraham mostly and Sarah mostly because that's who we know them as. But they're the same couple, but their names got changed. That's not relevant for what I want to talk about today. But they had this tremendous problem, like maybe many or some or most or uh, I don't know, all of us, wanting to control the outcome of some circumstances, certain special circumstances. One early story about this couple is, you know, they were, at, Abraham was worried about their sa- safety. He was called Abram at the time. I'm just going to call him Abraham. Is that okay? Yes. For those of you that are purists, say, hey, he wasn't Abraham yet, Terry, so don't call him that. Okay, okay. Stop trying to control me, okay? So, uh, <clears throat> so they, they were traveling, and he was concerned because his wife, Sarah, was a, was a looker. She was beautiful. And he was going to another place where he didn't know the people, and he figured that these guys would look at her and say, hey, check her out, let's get rid of this guy, and we'll take her. And so um, instead of telling them the truth, he takes things into control. Instead of trusting God, he takes things into control and tells a lie. He says, oh, this chick, she's my sister. Now, I don't know how that protects her. I really don't know. I think it might have protected him. Great job of control there, Abe. So uh, he says that, and... Um, you know, he, he just he, and that's what he would do. They had a habit. You can see them, this laced through their story of trying to take control. The biggest example of uh, is when God says to them, "I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a child. In fact, you're going to have so many kids." I'm paraphrasing now that if you were to go outside at nighttime and look up, it would be possible for you to count the stars. It'll be more than that. You'll be. You, it'll be many nations. Now. For those of you who are science buffs, you probably realize that's in the thousands. I mean, the, 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 if you went out and got a clear night, minor miracle, but if you were to go outside and have good seeing and a clear night, scientists say you could probably pick out about 2,000 stars if you could do it quick enough. Hard to see, but that's, that's about the number of the naked eye can see at any given moment in a clear, dark sky. And... Uh, so God is basically saying, you, you have no idea how big this blessing is going to be, and it's going to be a good one. He says this to them. But when God didn't immediately fulfill that promise, I mean, God has his time. And by the way, God's time is not always on our time schedule. For some reason, it's almost never on our time schedule. It's on God's time schedule for good reasons. And when you get to the future and you look back, you can say, well, I see now why God was God and I, I'm not God. Because God has, has his time there. And, and, and God didn't immediately fulfill the promise, although it was a God promise, which you can take to the bank. They're upset. Because he, wasn't just fast, he just wasn't fast enough for Abe and Sarah. And so they did what so many of us do, they take control of their own destiny, and, then they, and in doing that, they kind of trampled on top of God's promise. We're going to see this in Genesis 16, where we're in our text. So we're starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, who, so she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. In other words, I know God's promise, but he's not doing it in my timing. Therefore, I'm going to take control, and boy, have I got an idea. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to edge God out here. My ego is going crazy, and I'm going to take control. Now, typically, when we take control of a situation and edge God out, this is the kind of idea we come up with. 
here, sleep with this other woman. That'll solve all my problems, she says to her husband. It's amazing. It's amazing. So here's another amazing thing. Abraham agrees to what Sarai said. And that is so messed up on so many levels, and I'd be too distracted to follow that. But this is an amazing story. This is a couple taking control of something, and they're trying to, and they're trying to, make, they're trying to force God's promise. It's just not theirs to do. Verse 3, so after Abram had, had been living in Canaan with 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And once they edged God out, it's almost impossible to characterize all of the problems that that decision created. I mean, not just in their lives, but for centuries and centuries to come. That decision, you know, if you read on that story, Hagar gave birth to a son whose name was Ishmael. And in spite of their failures, God kept his promise and he gives them a a, a son named Isaac. And there is more tension than you can imagine between Sarah and, and, and Hagar. I mean, you slept with my husband. I mean, can you imagine what was going on there? It was terrible. Story is a lot of detail. And then there's this ongoing disagreement between Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac, you would know as the fathers of the Jewish nation. And Ishmael, well, let's put it this way. The Jewish nation, for, for a large part, is now centered in part of our world, and I don't like to get political in my commentary. This is just, I'll just say it to you. It's obvious where the Jew, Jewish nation is. They're in the middle of all kinds of turmoil with all kinds of animosity pointed toward them and out. I mean, it's a mess. It could be, a case could be made that it started right here. This couple decided to take control instead of trusting God. And so today there's wars. Uh, Muhammad, the inventor of the Islamic faith, is in the lineage. He's one of the sons down the, the train from Ishmael. And, of course, down the trail following Isaac is somebody you and I would know as our Savior, Jesus. And chances are, you know, you're probably all thinking, okay, Terry, I get all that, but I'm never going to sleep with my maidservant, um, Hagar. I don't even have a maidservant. What is a maidservant? <laughs> and I know you're not going to do that. But what you are going to do is going to, it'll come out more like this. Maybe you're a single girl and the clock is ticking and you love Jesus and you want a Christian man. But since there's no Christian man around, you'll just take a man. Not a, okay, and, and, and you'll say, hey, he's good enough for me. Um, I mean, I'll make this work. And you force something. You manipulate something. You compromise. You, you settle for less than the Lord's best for you because you're going to take God and you edge God out. Or maybe it's financially. You know, you, you're a good follower of the Lord. You're a strong Christian and you know the tithe belongs to God but you rationalize and you compromise and you take control and you say, well, we'll do that later when we get out of debt or maybe we'll never do that at all. And you somehow, you take control of something that really belongs to God. You edge God out. Or maybe you want something really bad, really bad, but you can't afford it. So what do you do? You edge God out, you manipulate, you find some way to borrow the money. I did that one time and I bought a red Corvette. Oh, that led to so much trouble in my marriage. It was a long time ago. Red Corvettes are good for you, just don't getting into debt over them are. I mean, 
Forget what I just said. That had nothing to do, and that was not from God. Um, although I think God likes Corvettes. <laughs> I heard an amen. That makes it true. Um, <laughs> where was I here? Okay. So, yeah, rabbit trail. So what you do is you rationalize and you come up with some way of forcing that issue and you disregard the long-term costs in order to get some short-term benefit into your hands. And you edge God out and you make it happen one way or the other. So there's this big application question through this whole concept that, that I hope all of you will ask yourself to participate because I think it's really important to that we do this. You name what it is you're trying to control. What is it? What are you trying to control? Is it people? Is it, you know, your kids? Or maybe it's your grown children because you don't like the way your grown children are raising your grandchildren and you want them to do it the right way, which you know you have a market on that. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's your image or what people think about you. Ask yourself the question, what am I trying to control? And, you know, for help, you can ask the people around you you know, sometimes you'll get a little more clarity. You can ask your spouse, you can ask close friends, you can ask your parents, you can even ask your kids. And if the environment is conducive to that kind of loving truth, you'll get good, truthful answers. And if you don't want to do that, I know you could sit back right now and say, I'm not going to do this. This is stupid. I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. You'd say, okay. Just go ahead and sit there and prove my point. <laughs> what are you trying to control? Once you identify what it is you're trying to control in your life, I have three questions that will help you, you know, lay down what you're trying to control and trust it to God. The first question I want to ask is this. Is it worth my concern? Is it worth my concern? Jesus is visiting um, Mary and Martha, and um, Martha was trying to control everything, and, and she was trying to control things that really didn't matter all that much. And she wanted everything perfect. She was kind of freaking out. And she says, Jesus, come on, get Mary to help me because this place isn't right and I want it to be perfect because you are here. And he he looks at her. Here's what he says to her in Luke 10, starting in verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. This isn't worth getting upset about. Is it worth my concern? And sometimes, you know, when our, our, our egos just get a little bit overly inflated and we're trying to control things that just don't matter that month, that much. And a month from now, you ask yourself, is it really going to make a difference in a month? I mean, does it really, really matter a month from now if the paper came off the bottom of the roll instead of the top of the roll? Right? I mean, is it really going to be defective after it comes off the bottom, so to speak? (laughs) The answer is no. It doesn't matter. And I want to tell you, I mean, you may have a preference about which side the paper comes off the roll, but I want to know it really doesn't matter. I just feel like I'm setting people free right now. Does it really matter if your son gets off to school one morning and his hair isn't combed just perfectly? I mean, 
is it going to ruin his chances to get into Harvard? Is it going to put him in jail or hell? And the answer is no, it's not going to do those things. Does it really matter, guys, if one of these days your wife happens to leave a little bit of you know, litter in your perfect car when she gets out? I mean, oh, I can tell. I'm getting some heat right now. <laughs> yes, Terry, yes, it does matter. It's a car, hand in your man card. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, loosen up. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> Lisa's going, I'm going to hold you to this. <laughs> long as you're holding me, honey, I don't care. <laughs> okay? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, I got something for you to watch. Just watch this. Okay, that has absolutely nothing to do with a sermon, but it's a cat, and I'm just saying, just warning you, okay? <laughs> just saying. It's just a cute little cat, you think. Yes, you think. <laughs> so you're just trying to control, you know, and it's just not that big a deal if there's a little bit of litter in the bottom of the car. Is it really worth getting upset about? Is it worth my concern? Ask yourself if you're trying to control it, is it really worth my concern? Second question I want to ask is, is it mine to control? Everybody say out loud, is it mine to control? Great question to ask. Sometimes the answer is yes. You know, I mean, it's yours to control. Sometimes there's something for you to do about it, and other times the answer is no. Now, I want to just, just mention that Surrendering control is not the same as relinquishing responsibility. You should be responsible when you can be responsible. For example, if you're messed up financially, you can still can you still cut back on your spending? Of course. Of course. You, you, can, you can do something about it. You can learn to budget. You can you know, find a mentor. You can um, you know, cut up your credit cards. You can do something about it. If, if your marriage is messed up, you know, can you do something about that? Well, Absolutely. You can, you know, pray together. You can let godly people speak into your life. You can initiate counseling. You can have date nights. You can, you know, you can do, you can do things about it. If you're, if you're a guy who has never been on a date for the last seven years and, you know, you'd like to find a woman, um, do you just trust God with it? Well, yes, but you can also do something about it. You can take a bath. <laughs> can sell the Xbox. You can 
go to church, you can be somewhere, you can smile, you can brush your teeth and smile, you can ask a girl, you can do some things, you can do some things, but there are some things that you just cannot control. So you ask yourself, is it mine to control? There are some things, there are some things that, you're, that are yours to control, and there are some that you say, now this really isn't for me to control. James 4.13 um, so this very, very speaks to us. I mean, it very clearly shows that there are some things that are not for us to control. And I think James is talk, kind of talking to control freaks here a little bit. Verse 13, now listen, you who say, tomorrow or, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Verse 14, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. God's saying, you can't even control tomorrow. How are you going to be in control of something that's a year from now? So I ask myself, is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? And our third question is this. Is it for God alone? Is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? Or is this for God alone? Ask those questions. You can ask those questions over and over again. Is it for God alone? In fact, Paul told Philippians something that I think that's really, really powerful along these lines in in chapter 4. He said... Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, now don't raise your hands on this. But how many of you are anxious or you have been anxious about something? I mean, he's talking about when we're wanting to to control things, when we're trying to control things, that's not ours to control. He says, don't be anxious about anything. He goes on, he says, but in everything, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You give it to God. You surrender it to God. You trust it to God. You lay it down at the altar of God. And and scripture says, verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that promise. God is saying when you try to control something that is not yours to control, what you get to have is anxiety. That's what you get. But when you Trust him. He will give you peace that goes beyond what your mind can work out. When you surrender to God, he gives you the peace. So here are some application questions that, you know, I'll just pop these out. Don't answer out loud. Think about this in your circumstance that you'd like to control. Can you change your spouse? I mean, I think a lot of us would like to think we can, but no, actually you can't. You can love your spouse, you can pray for your spouse, you can encourage your spouse, and your spouse. What do you do? Well, then you give this dream in your heart to the Lord, and you pray for your spouse, and you encourage your spouse, and you, and you um, pray and ask the Lord, to, and you love them. But can you change them? No. Stop trying to control them and trust God. So can you heal your sick loved one? I mean, no. God can, but but you and I, we just we don't have that. What can you do? You can pray for them. You can encourage them. You can help them make sure that they get the best medical care that is possible for you to get. You trust them to God. And the peace of God which transcends your mind will guard your heart and your mind. That's the promise of God. That's the promise of God. Can you control the future? Can you control the future of your children? Can you control anybody that you love? No. But you can pray, you can plan, 
You can give wise counsel. And you can give it to God. Think for a minute back about Abraham. We're just about wrapped up here. He wanted more than anything else a son. He wanted that more than anything else. And God gave him a son. Yet what was it that God asked him to sacrifice? That thing, that, that, that son. And th- for those of you who didn't grow up in church or maybe don't know this Bible study, this is an amazing thing. It's hard to understand. I mean, God promises him a son, gives him a son, and then asks for the son back. It's mind-boggling. It just, it just doesn't make sense. When you read it, you go, I, I don't get this. So this father who for years and years prayed for a son, he tells his son, he says, hey, come on, let's go. We're going to go hiking up to Mount Moriah, and we're going to give God a sacrifice. So they're on their way up. And the son says something like this, hey, daddy, hey, trusted one, I'm trusting you. Where's the sacrifice? (laughs) And Abraham says to his son, hey, God will provide. God will provide. This same guy who previously wanted to control everything puts his son on this altar to sacrifice him. And an angel stops him and says, hold it. Don't lay a hand on that boy. I know you trust God. Look over there. And he looks over there and here's this ram who's stuck in these bushes. And um, scripture picks that up in verse 20, or 22, verse 13, Genesis twenty-two thirteen. Abraham went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. When Abraham finally surrendered to God that which he wanted the most, when he got out of God's way, when he quit scheming and planning, only then was he able to see God's plan of provision for him. Only then was he able to find peace regarding everything, including his dire circumstances. Because he put his trust in God, God kept his promise to him, and he was guarding his heart and his mind. He stopped edging God out. Instead, he started exalting God, and he surrendered what he valued most. And he found that God was faithful and that God provided. I I came here today expecting to say these words because I'm telling somebody or somebody's that you're trying to control some things that are just not yours to control. I don't have anybody in mind, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to people's hearts right now. I know it. You're trying to control some things that are just not yours to control. And when you try to control things that are not yours to control, you'll be filled with anxiety. But when you take what belongs to God and you lay it down at his altar, then you will truly know what the title Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. You will truly know what that means. And he'll provide everything you need because we're not, we aren't God and we shouldn't edge him out. So I will not be in control I'm going to trust God with what belongs to him. And then I'm going to lay into that promise that says, when I trust God, the peace that transcends all understanding will guard my heart and my mind. Let's pray. Father, today, I just pray that um, you would set people free who have a need to control. God, that you would minister to us 
in this room, deep within our hearts. And that God, wherever you would find people here that maybe don't trust you completely, that they would find their way into that safe place with you, Lord. And for those of us who are hearing your voice right now and we're realizing, oh man, I've got my hands a little bit too much on the steering wheel here or my foot too hard on the throttle and not enough placed into faith, God, thank you for your tender ways that you love us enough to gently build our faith if we're willing to have our faith built by gentle means. But the Lord, you love us so strongly that you will stay God and that you won't be manipulated. You won't be edged out. You won't be controlled. Lord, I'm grateful that what it is that you want for us, your scripture promises promises us, and it tells us how you think about us. It tells us you think not about our failures, our shortcomings, our sins, but instead you think about our future and our hope. Thank you, Lord, that that defines our relationship together. Thank you for that in Jesus' name.